Thank you for pressing start on episode 48 of Underplayed, KZUM's indie video game podcast. Today we have two secret games, followed by a review of our featured game, SteamWorld Dig. Here on Underplayed, we review indie games of all kinds, the games with small budgets but big hearts, the lesser-known experiences with imaginative ideas. I'm Bo Poe, and joining me is my best friend, playing games that he recommends. He's the biggest fan of Mega Man, flipping phones after smartphones began. I'm talking about the late-night streaming, secret game scheming. Everyone say hola to Disco Cola. What is going on? Oh, not too much, Bopo. Just feeling a little bit of pressure deep underground. I got nothing. I didn't come up with one today. But uh, how are you, Bopo? That actually synergizes with mine really well. I'm doing just fine, my steam-powered robot. <laughs> it really is really is that simple sometimes. Yeah. Um, so we are referencing SteamWorld Dig there with those intros. And I am looking forward to uh, having a very deep conversation ah, with you. Uh, we're going to dig into that a little bit later. Um, yeah. Also, I found out some unsavory details about the devs. Uh, so I have some dirt on them. Oh. Um, some dirt yeah. on them. We're going to really drill home some more puns, too, <laughs> while we're at it. <laughs> yes, you, you picked up what I was putting down. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to reviewing a game that is over 10 years old with you. We've done that a few times on Underplayed. And this game is the first in a pretty long franchise of games. So we might review more SteamWorld games down the road. Who knows? Um, Before we move on, though, I want to talk about something that's happening here in like late November, early December as we sit down to record this. Um, This episode won't come out until uh, early 2024. But I thought this was really interesting, and I don't think I've talked to you about this at all. And if you have not heard about it, I just want your raw reaction to what is going on here. And it's something that we'll probably continue to develop and we'll see other people reacting to. But basically, there are two updates I have here from Massive Monster, the developers of Cult of the Lamb, which is a game you and I both really like. We, yeah, we love. Absolutely. Right? And you've played Cult of the Lamb by now a lot more than I have because you played their first DLC pack, right? I did, yeah. And have you heard about... Their social media announcements as of late. <laughs> yes, okay. I, I am familiar. Would you like to summarize one or both of the main headlines I have prepared? Uh, sure, I can do that. Um, and this I will put as a moderate content warning immediately uh, that uh, what we're about to discuss mentions the existence of sex, uh, whether or not that actually manifests uh, we'll we'll see, but Massive Monster has announced that they have a new update coming to Cult of the Lamb, and that update is called Sins of the Flesh, and this is in conjunction with a social media campaign to increase follows on their Twitter page. Um, and they said if we get, I don't know, like two hundred thousand followers, three hundred, three hundred thousand followers, we'll add sex to Cult of the Lamb. And that happened overnight and then some. Whether or not they actually do add sex to the game, I am <laughs> super skeptical. I think 
uh, Cult of the Lamb being called Sins of the Flesh. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like Sins of the Flesh was going to come out anyway, and I don't Thanks. know that it will have sex. I also partially recall them saying that they will never add sex to the game. You're okay. Yeah, it's hard to gauge how much of this is serious. Cult of the Lamb and like Massive Monster and their social media team, they they do a lot of the jokey jokes. Yeah. You know, um, not nearly as like sometimes aggressively as like aggro crab, but they're up there as yeah. like joking around a lot on social media. They like to pull the wool over your eyes. <laughs> nice. Keep doing that, please. <laughs> and um, when they made this announcement, you know, they used like a very eye-catching image with this will add sex to the game an- announcement. Uh, they were under 300,000 followers. I actually don't know exactly how many they started with, but I think it was... I think they were still under 200 when they started. Were they started. under 200? I think yeah. so. So they were quite a ways behind 300. And they were saying, before the end of the year, we want to get to 300,000 followers. If that happens, we'll add sex to the game. They're not explaining how they'll do it. They're not explaining how graphic it will be. They're not explaining how um, pervasive the the sex will be. Will it just be one instance that happens you know, in a tent where it's assumed that two villagers are having sex or something. Right. But, you know, who knows? I think it's also valid to think like, yeah, they might just be doing this as a a fun little joke. But I think I saw a follow-up tweet of theirs that said something along the lines of, you know, we're following through on this. Like, it's definitely happening now because you exceeded our expectations. (laughs) And like you said, it happened overnight. I think it was within hours. Yeah. They hit 300,000. And here's what's crazy. I checked their number of followers this morning. It was over 500,000. I think it was around 510,000. And now just hours later, they're at over 525,000 followers. Good Lord. So they're still getting thousands and thousands of followers by the hour. And I think by the end of the year, they'll have many more. It might be fun to kind of predict what they'll have by December 31st. <laughs> um, but I could see them getting to 600,000 very easily, maybe 700, 750,000. Who knows? Maybe a million. Yeah, who knows? Uh, but there has to be a plateau effect at some point. So it'll be interesting. And the question that comes to my mind is, okay, if they add sex, is it going to happen in Sins of the Flesh? And I think I saw an announcement that those aren't necessarily tied together. Okay. They both might happen in early 2024, but just because we get Sins of the Flesh does not mean we get the supposed sex update too. Um, okay. We'll see, but I'm curious for you as someone who played the first DLC pack, does Sins of the Flesh excite you to jump back in? Are you going to get to it very soon? I I don't know, man. I mean, let's let's just do this whole thing assuming that the sex update is in Sins of the Flesh. I don't think the game needs that. I think, yes, it makes it more Mm cult-like, but when you add sex to a game like this, it starts to feel more like The Sims Mm. because either either it's in there and it doesn't serve a purpose other than just to like facilitate relationship points with one of the cult members, or they're planning on adding offspring to the game. Oh. Um, which like, yes, your game's about a cult and a cult will manipulate young children all sure. the time. I don't want that though. I don't want to play around with that. You don't want to play around that with that. That makes me feel super gross. I think the it's strongly suggested that Sins of the Flesh will be kind of like adding new quests and features and things, not necessarily the sex right at the start. Mm-hmm. 
if the offspring stuff isn't part of that and it's just kind of what the first DLC pack did. Yeah. Are you yeah, that's, in that case jumping yeah, in sure. very I, soon? Okay. I think at this point, given that I think we were under the impression that the last update was basically going to be like the big one before they were done. Yeah, like maybe the maybe not the last one, but the biggest one they would ever do. Yeah. Was kind of the impression I got. So I think at this point this game has changed into something that will continue to just get updates yeah. for at least a few more years yes. and then they'll make a sequel. But I think this is a game that gets a lot of updates now. I think it just is a living, breathing game. Sure. It might not get as many updates as like No Man's Sky, but it kind of feels like a like a Don't Starve. Like they yeah. kept adding stuff to Don't Starve kind of slowly over time. But yeah. if we get one new update a year or something for a few years, I think that's really fun. And yeah. it makes me kind of want to wait to play the first DLC pack because I still haven't touched that. I want to wait to do that maybe until after Sins of the Flesh has been out for a while mm-hmm. so I can kind of enjoy both packs at once. Maybe play both of them between season five and six. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. That's, so we'll see. that's how I would usually do it. But I'm there's something a little bit exciting about actually being there when it comes out this time. Like most of okay. the time, I don't yeah. have you know time to play the DLCs until <laughs> everything's already come out. But uh, there's something a little bit exciting about getting to play it live right away. Yeah, well, if you play it, um, report back and let us know what you think of Sins of the Flesh. Absolutely. And also just congratulations to Massive Monster for um, having a, a social media PR stunt yeah. that really worked out <laughs> in their favor. And as a result, tons of other developers are kind of making jokes about it. They're kind of doing their own version of it. You know, if we hit 50,000 followers, we'll add this other thing into our game, yeah. you know? So <laughs> it's kind of a trend now. It's it's started this chain reaction of all these fun little social media challenges. And um, it's, it's just a very interesting moment for here late in 2023. So we will uh, move on to our next segment. But before we do, if you are listening to Underplayed right now, thank you and we love you. And please consider giving us a follow and a five-star rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you haven't already, it takes just a few seconds and goes a long way. It is time for our secret games. The secret games games that you're playing. The secret games. In Secret Games, we each reveal an indie game we've been playing these past few weeks in secret. I don't know what Disco Cole has been playing. He doesn't know what I've been playing. And we're going to review our games. We can choose any indie game to play for Secret Games as long as we have not reviewed it before on Underplayed. Starting with you, Disco Cola, let the mystery be no more. Reveal your secret game for episode 48 of Underplayed. My secret game this episode comes from Moppin and Red Phantom Games, published by Devolver Digital, and it is called Downwell. Oh, I didn't know this was published by Devolver, actually. Yeah. And I've never played it, but I definitely have heard of Downwell. Yeah. yeah. So I just sent you that trailer there, and you can take a look at it while I continue. Sounds great. Downwell is a 2D arcade action platformer, perhaps. The most arcadey of all the arcadey games we've ever played. Ooh. It's a very bold statement, but you've played a lot more of those than I have. So. Yeah, maybe the most arcadey for you, for sure. But yeah. Definitely up there yeah. in general. Um, so much so, in fact, that the resolution of the game is like really tall and narrow. 
this game was like made to be in our on an arcade cabinet. Yeah, uh, or a phone. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> it is on phones. Um, but uh, yeah, so much so, in fact, that uh, there actually is an arcade cabinet. Uh, I found while I Whoa. was looking it up, I was like, I wonder if there is one. Dang. And I found I found a YouTube video that shows that there's an arcade cabinet. So I sent you that as well if you oh, want to cool. just like take a quick look at that. Is this just like a passionate fan making it or was I it? I think so. I don't know. But it there's a little bit something extra in that arcade cabinet too. It does say the only known Downwell arcade cabinet in existence yeah. is the name of this thing. And okay. I, I do know that now that there are like a couple of arcade facilities in New York that are indie game like arcade facilities well that's dope we have to go there now <laughs> yeah apparently <laughs> we have to do like a special bonus episode from there oh geez <laughs> um so anyways as i said they took the arcade idea to heart to the point where there is pretty much no story presented to you at the beginning um all you know is that you're this humanoid shape with gun boots and you are jumping down a well once in the well, you fall at a great rate of speed with many obstacles in your path, including destructible blocks, ledges, spiked surfaces, and most of all, various types of enemies. And all of this is presented to you in a very simple three-color palette. So when you start the game, it's just like white, black, red. That's it. Uh, the goal of the game is to fall to the bottom of the well. However, the number of creatures in the well is huge and often super overwhelming. So the secondary goal of the game actually becomes to destroy as many enemies of the well as you can. Uh, it's mostly a means to an end, but if you if you don't get them, they're going to get you. Um, you can dispatch most enemies by bopping them on the head, but some can only be destroyed with your gun boots. Mm. And now your gun boots serve multiple purposes as well, and you can kind of see that in the trailer I sent you. You use them to destroy enemies, of course, but you also use them to slow your falling momentum or to break blocks in your way. So yes, your goal is to get to the bottom of the well, but if you just let yourself free fall, you will get damaged by enemies that you can't bop. It's just gonna happen to you, and you will lose very quickly. So the bullets you're shooting in this game are coming from your feet? Yes. Whoa! Yeah. That's cool. It's dope. Your gun boots have access to multiple different kinds of styles, uh, such as a laser, a machine gun, which I believe is the one you start the game with, uh, or like a shotgun style. These styles can be found in small rooms that will show up intermittently in each level, um, and these rooms are signified with a bubble-like entrance, which are called time voids. When you are inside of these time void bubbles, all enemies and gems outside slow to a stop. And uh, yeah, so you're inside here. The gun boot shot styles will have a letter that describes which one the pickup is and will either come with uh, one HP of recovery or add two to your maximum ammo capacity. So you walk in the room and there's a little like heart with an M on it. Mm -hmm. That's going to give you the machine gun and heal one HP. I or see. it might okay. be an S with a little like capsule and that'll add two to your maximum ammo and that'll give you the shotgun. That makes sense. Uh, speaking of ammo capacity, you have it. Um, <laughs> different bullet styles will cost more to use. So for example, let's say you raise your maximum capacity to 22. With machine gun, it's a one-for-one. One. 22 max ammo, 22 bullets. 
but laser may only be seven shots at that same level, and shotgun would be even fewer. Um, but usually lower ammo efficiency has benefits in either damage or range or spread. So there's a lot for people to decide on for their like favorite style. Your ammo capacity is recharged anytime you bop on something or land on a surface. Uh, whether it be a boppable enemy or a boppable environmental element, that will recharge your, your ammo. And recharging your ammo by bopping is really key to getting a good combo. Mm-hmm. Combos are sort of a bonus skill reward, and you build these combos by destroying as many enemies as possible without landing. The higher your combo goes, the greater the reward. Uh, so if you get a combo of eight or more, you'll automatically get 100 extra gems. If it's 20-something, you get an extra maximum ammo. And if it's, I think, somewhere around 40, it will also recover 1 HP. Um, So this can be a great sort of risk-reward system to heal yourself or add ammo capacity. Um, But, of course, getting more in your combo opens you up to the risk of more damage just because you're falling for a long time. And some of those upgrades like plus one maximum ammo or something, that's just for that run, right? Because this is like a roguelike sort of experience. Absolutely. So it's not persistent and carrying over. Yeah. Gotcha. Pretty much nothing in this game carries over. Okay. Um, You start each run with four hit points. So that means four hits and you're done. Game over. Start again. Um, HB can be recovered by visiting shops that may or may not appear in each level. Um, and you can pay for the stuff in the shops with your gems. And gems are coming from all over the level. Mostly, they come from enemies as drops when you kill them, but they will also be hidden in destructible elemental items or in deposits in the destructible blocks or in large piles found in the same kinds of rooms as the gun boot ammo types. In addition to being currency, maintaining a streak of collecting gems will create what's called a gem high, So once you collect 100 gems, uh, a gem high will begin, and this will increase the range and size of your shots. So this is encouraging you to kill more enemies, but also go fast about it. Mm. Um, Gem highs will also maintain between levels. Oh. And then, speaking of in-between levels, once you finish a level, you get to select from one of three permanent upgrades, again, only for this run. Um, I think there are about 16 in total for the game. And so you'll get a chance to get a majority of them by the end of the game. But here, here's an example of some of my favorite upgrades. One is called Popping Gems. And so what this does is it will send a shot upward whenever you collect a gem. Um, this is super helpful when you're getting overrun by enemies because each one killed is dropping gems and each of those gems you collect is sending a shot skyward. Uh, which is where you would otherwise be the most defenseless uh, because you don't have any way to attack upward. Your boots are on your feet. Um, Another is called Burst Module. This one sort of creates AoE damage under anything that you bop. Um, This is super great for dispelling many enemies while also refilling your ammo. And um, another one, most important one, I think, and a lot of other people would agree, is the Knife and Fork. And this allows you to eat the corpses of fallen enemies, and they will sometimes recover HP. Speaking of Cult of the Lamb. Yeah, (laughs) super vital, very important. You're going to lose a lot of HP. Uh, But that about does it. The game is broken up into four zones, the upper well called the Cavern, the Catacombs, which features a lot of like skulls and ghosts, 
the aquifer, which has squids and turtles, and then limbo, which is this weird uh, place of floating garbage. Um, <laughs> it's so a lot of the aesthetics and the enemies are changing and all these. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Um, and then there's three levels in each zone and then a final level after that called the abyss, all increasing in difficulty and length and enemy numbers along the way. Now, Bopo, I don't know if you remember this, but I have talked to you about this very briefly about yeah. downwell very briefly. Yeah, I remember you talking about it off recording and, yeah. um, you know, I haven't played it. I don't remember a ton of what you said about it. I just am aware of it. Yeah. yeah. It, it, this would have been early underplayed, if not right before underplayed. But uh, I, I remember telling you that I jumped off and quit very quickly. Like I said, I tried this a few years ago and I, I left the game pretty quick. Uh, but uh, apart from its appearance, everything about this game on paper is really antithetical to a Disco Cola game. Mm hmm. But I'm happy to say that this time around, there is a lot to love about Downwell. Wonderful. First up, I think the sound design is exquisite. It's not uncommon for me to play these repetitive kinds of games muted while listening to something else. Um, but I didn't do that. Not too much, at least with Downwell. The music is really good, and the sound effects really sell it for me. Bopped enemies will expel this like percussive guttural sound. They'll be like, oh! And the floating <laughs> skull enemy has this blood curdling screech once it gets shot. Uh, when you're underwater in the aquifer, music sounds like it's underwater. Even the shop theme sounds like it's underwater. And even like the bursting sounds, they go through like a bit of a low pass filter. So just like each little bop, burst, and scream is super satisfying and it really amplifies the gameplay. Um, I think the interlevel upgrades add something to look forward to. You can do so well or struggle really hard through each level, but your interlevel upgrades will make or break you. So it can be really exciting to get your favorite upgrade early because it really encourages me to keep going, even when I think I probably should just start over and quit. And as you get later and later into the game, you gain access to nearly all of them, and so at the end of the game, you're doing things that seem impossible when you first start. Um, there are unlockables for playing the game over and over. A huge majority of them are just different color palettes for the game. Um, but there are things called styles, and you can play mm. the game in. Um, these sort of act like the different fleeces in Cult of the Lamb. Okay. Um, they add some sort of benefit, but also have a drawback. So there isn't one that necessarily overpowers another, I think. But I like this because I don't think I could get anywhere near the end of the game in the default style. I used what's called the boulder style the most, and it offers more HP, but you have fewer upgrades to choose from in between levels. Um, but that extra HP is the only thing that got me to the last level. And I'm going to really cut it short and simply say that everything about this game works in concert with everything else. Hopefully you sort of like picked up on it when I was going through my notes. I certainly noticed it when I was writing those notes. Everything affects everything else and it all works together to encourage you to be precise and go fast. Whether or not that's always easy to do, that's a different question, but the game feels rewarding when you pay attention to ammo, health, upgrades, and combos all at the same time. It all just works so well together. I wish this game had come out like 35 years ago because I think it would be a titan among the classics. I really do. 
I can get a lot of that sense just watching this trailer. You know, I seeing how everything connects, how fluidly everything seems to move. Like even just watching this on mute, I, I'm kind of getting that impression. Yeah, it's it's something to behold. But as all difficult arcade games go, there are things that don't work well for me, particularly the difficulty. I think I think the record for this game is like six or seven minutes. Oh. You can beat this game quickly. You could beat this game the first time you turn it on, if you're skilled enough. Hmm. I'm not. And I actually still haven't beaten it, but I've gotten close about half a dozen times. Oh, man. I know that I can beat it. I just couldn't beat it in time for this recording. I even had two more attempts this morning where I was like... Pretty pretty darn far. Inch, inches away. Wow. Just, are you going to try again soon? Are you going to try to get that completion? I think I want to. I'm yeah. not, no, not the completion. Well, finishing. Heck that. You know what I mean. Yeah. But yes, I do. I do want to beat it. This game is fun. Cool. It's fun to play. But yeah, going on in dislikes as part of the difficulty. Um, there is one bit that was so much worse than everything else, and that is hitboxes. There were countless times where I was taking damage from enemies that were just like off to the side of me, like so, 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 so many times. So like they're, it's as if they're touching you and they're not, is that what you mean? Or they're shooting bullets at you? They're not, no, not many people shoot bullets, but they're like just off to the side of me where other times I think that I would bop them like on the head, but other times they're just damaging me instead. Um, So I'm... I'm sure that the hitboxes are technically correct and proficient and consistent, but I can't understand why I'll take damage from a snake one time while we're both on the ground, but then not another. Mm. There would be runs where this happened to me so much that I I just quit playing. I was just so mad. Um, But I would just pick it up again after like two minutes of cooling off. That (laughs) happened. You're not completely rage quitting. Yeah, that happened a few times. I am rage pausing. (laughs) I turned (laughs) off my system and I'm going to turn it back on in a minute. Um, I do have enemies that I hate enough to gain their own sub complaint for this review. Uh, For a long time, the stupid eyeball in the first zone, this one is not boppable and will follow you for a long time. That was my least favorite enemy for a long time, but it actually quickly switched to the bats, which is one of the first most basic enemies that you encounter. And these were actually the greatest offenders of the just hitting me off to the side Mm. issue. I hate bats. I hate them so much. So many HP hits from those bat holes. (laughs) Um, There are different gun styles with lots of pros and cons, but I definitely do not think they are all created equal. One I hate a lot actually is the shotgun. This one has the lowest like ammo efficiency but highest damage output. But I took more unnecessary hits with the shotgun equipped because I had the shotgun equipped. Um, now, I'm sure there's some clown out there that's going to tell me this is somehow the best weapon. Uh, but actually, the shotgun is the best weapon. Shut up. Uh, I don't you, care. Uh, <laughs> I don't care. I don't I, know if you played with the shotgun enough, but actually it is the best uh, weapon. <laughs> um, yeah, the only place I found a use for it was in the final level. Uh, and I think the game started to pick up on how much I hated the shotgun because this was the spawn over and over and over again for me. Um, the color palettes, they make up several dozens of the collectibles. And at this moment... I still don't have them all. Um, That's not the complaint. The complaint is that like 70% of them actually hurt to look at. Uh, Interesting. That's, I mean, like some of them, that's the point. Like there's some that are just like called 
painful or something. Oh, really? Um, but like the second palette I unlocked is still my favorite, and I lost interest in working toward this this level of completion pretty quickly, just because I was very satisfied with the second one, and everything else after that was not even close. You're reminding me of just real quick something from Super One More Jump, mm-hmm. a secret game of mine from season one, where you could unlock skins for all the levels and all the obstacles, and uh, some of the skins were just inherently easier to look at and use because the contrasts of everything was very clear. The colors were really clear. Others, things are like muddier, uglier, things blend together more. Yeah. And it's hard to actually see some of what's coming at you. And so some of them just objectively make the game harder. Yeah. And so, I don't know. And I also don't really like looking at some of them. <laughs> right. Just not pleasant to observe. Anyways... Downwell is a game that frequently frustrates me, and just a year ago, I was too afraid to play it for Underplayed, but I'm glad I forced myself to try it because what I found is an arcade game inspired by the greats and, in my opinion, better than many of the greatest classics. I still only have so many runs in me before I have to set it down, but I always do just like want to come back for more. It's just so fun. All of the elements in the game work in concert to make an incredible modern arcade classic, but it's hard. It's just, ugh. anyways, I'm impressed. Downwell gets a nine. Nine. Holy crud. That's a lot of score there. Yeah, um, dude. Cool. I'm glad you enjoyed it so much. And this is a Devolver digital game. This is a game that like, I think a lot of people have played this. This is another example, kind of like Goragoa earlier in the season where there can be like a well-known game that still isn't really featured game worthy just because there isn't a lot there to maybe discuss right. and for each person, each of us to like take away. So I'm glad you were able to play this and return to it after being a little intimidated by it. You said the world record run time is like six or seven minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you're not speed running this game. I know you're just playing nope. it, you know, at your own pace. How long is your average run? Like, how long are you surviving in this game when you do a run? So this morning when I was inches away from the final boss, I was at, I think, 18 minutes. Um, I don't think most of them, most of my unsuccessful ones, take more than, like, 14 or 15. So I'm losing time, but I'm not losing, like, Hades amounts of time for me. Or even, like, Outer Wilds amounts of time. Yeah. (laughs) Like, when when you mess up in that game. That is, um, I think, an important statistic for roguelikes because sometimes people are intimidated by, am I going to lose an hour in this run if I mess up near the end? But it's pretty digestible runs. And the game is short enough and you, so you, you are able to pretty quickly like gain a good sense of like, this run isn't worth it. I can abandon it. And you don't have that sunk cost fallacy Mm -hmm. because it's just like, I'm, I've only been falling for eight minutes. Mm-hmm. This run is dead. Like, there's no chance I'm coming back from this. And you can just restart. And that's it doesn't feel like you wasted wasted your time too much. I like that amount of time investment for this game. I think that's just perfect for maybe newcomers to roguelikes or just someone who wants a roguelike, but maybe more relaxed as far as time investment. Um, did you mention if this game tracks like a high score? It tracks... Does it? I don't know if it's a score. I think your score is just the amount of gems you collect. Amount of gems, okay. And then, did you have like a favorite weapon or style of combat in this game? Yeah. So my my favorite gun is actually called Noppy, 
And uh, that one is essentially the machine gun, but you can aim it based on which direction left or right you're holding. So you get more of a diagonal shot oh, uh, to clear out some enemies. A lot of guns don't enemies. let you do that. Right. Every other gun is just straight down. down. Cool. Okay. Um, and then where can you play Downwell? You can play Downwell on Nintendo Switch, Android, Windows, iOS, PlayStation Vita, and I played it with the physical copy for the PS4 from Special Reserve Games. It is time for My Secret Game. My Secret Game is called Speed Dating for Ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever heard of Speed Dating for Ghosts? Yes. No, I'm kidding. I've never heard of this. <laughs> I just sent you the trailer. Uh, you can take a, it's a short one. <laughs> okay. You can take a look at that while I go on. All right. Thank you. Uh, so Speed Dating for Ghosts is a 2018 visual novel slash dating sim. It was developed and published by Copy Chaser Games. The game synopsis from the Steam storefront reads, quote, branching dialogue, hard choices, a cemetery's worth of phantoms, wraiths, and poltergeists looking for love in all the blight places. Nah, End quote. more puns. You knew it. Lots of puns today. <laughs> um, not even from one of us. So <laughs> that that worked out. So in Speed Dating for Ghosts, you are a ghost in the afterlife looking for companionship with other ghosts. And as far as I could tell, Disco Cola, the ghost you play as is basically just yourself. I don't think you have like a story, a background story that at least I remember or that I found. So you're not playing like a character whose name is announced or anything. I think it's just really your picking dialogue options. Yeah, later you know? alligator rules. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so... This is a game of very simple hand-drawn characters who appear on screen to talk to you in the first-person perspective. There is a ghost named Fran who organizes speed dating for ghosts, and she invites you to enter one of three rooms. So there's the room of palms, the room of liars, and the room of black, each of which has three ghosts to speed date. So you pick one of those three rooms, and then you go through two rounds of speed dating with the three ghosts that are inside. And as you get to know them, you discover what they did in life, you discover how they died, and you find out what they want to do in the afterlife. And I'm going to give several examples of some of the ghosts you talk to in this game, so um, without spoiling um, close to all of them. So one example is Riley. Riley was a young football player who died from a brain injury while playing, and he didn't tell anyone because he had a fear about being benched. So he had this like concussion and he eventually died uh, because of his injury. Oh, dark. Um, then there's uh, another one, Spooky Peter. And Spooky Peter is actually the oldest ghost. Spooky Peter died from the bubonic plague in the 1600s oh. <laughs> and has become kind of a famous legendary ghost after centuries of perfecting the art of scaring people. So that's like his big interest is like, he is the traditional ghost that scares people. And he has a lot of pride in the fact that he's good at it. And there have been like ghost stories and legends about him that have been written by he, he's authors. He's like Count Dracula in a world where vampires exist. Exactly. Gotcha. Yes. He's like that uh, legendary figure in the ghost world. And then there's um, Stephanie who died of cancer but she doesn't realize at first that she's a ghost until she attends the speed dating thing and she talks to you and you go, so how'd you die? And she goes, wait, I'm dead. What do you mean? <laughs> and you like, you oh, see no. her like become incredulous at the fact that she is dead and come to grips with the fact that she's dead. So um, those are like three very different examples of ghosts you talk to. 
And uh, all the dialogue is non-voice acted. It's just text on screen. And there are dialogue options that let you interact with these people. Sometimes you'll get two or three um, different choices of what to say back. And sometimes you can support what they're saying. You can criticize what they're saying. And if you say enough things they like, you can join them after the speed dating event for a short story. Uh, if you choose the wrong dialogue options, they might reject you and not want to go out with you again. And sometimes you can reject them. You can sort of like, if you're not feeling their vibe, you don't have to keep exploring with them. And it becomes pretty obvious with a lot of them which of your dialogue options will turn them off too. Mm -hmm. And then on the menu screen, there is a graveyard that lets you see summaries of the characters you bonded with and you can replay their stories from there, but only the ones who you have satisfied through your dialogue options and the ones you've already explored the stories of. And so the goal of the game is to get to know these ghosts and experience their stories. And there's no real end goal other than having these little narrative vignettes with um, all these ghosts. So what I liked about Speed Dating for Ghosts, uh, I thought this game juggled a lot of emotions really well. Within each one of the speed dating rooms, you know, you're talking to three ghosts in each room. And each one has a different story, and each one has a different temperament. Each one is written with a distinct personality. And just like a real speed dating scenario, which I've never been in, but I can imagine you're likely to gravitate towards certain ghosts over others. Mm -hmm. Some are a little bit more, you know, friendlier. Um, some are a little bit more standoffish. And um, the stories that you explore with them subvert expectations. There's one named Leon who was a bank robber in life. And you start talking to Leon. And, and if you say stuff Leon likes, your quote unquote date after the speed dating is just joining him and helping him conduct a heist. <laughs> and that's all you're doing with Leon. So uh, it gets really funny uh, in that particular story. Um, and there's actually very little, if any, uh, romance and romantic attraction in this game. It's much more a game about bonding and listening to people's stories. Um, the game isn't lovesick. It's not sappy or horny or anything like that. <laughs> okay. So good. it subverts the expectations of dating sims in general, too. Um, so at the end of the day, it's just about hearing all of these different stories of all these wildly different people. Um, the narrative and the framing text, so all of the sort of text that shows up on screen that isn't spoken, is often really creative and very poetic. The text will sometimes describe how the room looks before you start doing the speed dating. Um, sometimes the dates you go on after the speed dating, things are just set up with a really nice description. And the text often wraps up the vignettes with really nice closure, so it feels like you're Definitely like closing a chapter really fittingly with that text. And then I really like the designs of the ghosts. Uh, some of them reinforce the idea of who the ghost is. So like Spooky Peter, who died from the bubonic plague, he has a really long curved face. It kind of looks like he's wearing a plague doctor oh, mask. Yeah, okay. There's um, Vera, who died in a house fire, and she's constantly smoking cigarettes. So okay. that fits her. Yep. Um, the music is a good mixture of different sounds too. There's like lo-fi techno. There's just really nice ambient songs. So I thought this game also was a really pleasant listen. Um, and then there are some things that I didn't like as much. The biggest thing is probably that there's neither a grand conclusion 
nor a structure that announces when you should stop playing. So once you've dated all the ghosts you can, you're done. But, you know, nothing big is happening there at the end. You just have to make your way through all three rooms. You can do the rooms in any order. There's no structure to it, really, other than just picking a room and then going through all those dates and selecting things. I kind of wish there was more of a why to what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does feel like you're just sort of dropped into this this game. So there's very little like fanfare around all of this. And then if a ghost doesn't like you because of your dialogue choices, you can't um, retry your selections with them without wiping your entire save data. Oof. So this only applies to people who reject you or people you reject. Once one rejects the other, they're kind of just locked out of your save file and you can't get another chance at them without wiping that save data. So that's unfortunate. I started um, doing a mixture of trying to please some people and trying to get other people to reject me because I wanted to see both sides of the game, like how the game would handle that. But then once I got through all the rooms in the game, I had a handful of ghosts that I couldn't talk to anymore. And I kind of wish I could see their like stories, like the quote unquote dates that we go on after the speed dating. And so I can't see those unless I start over like from scratch. Um, And then the game is quite simple when it comes to the visuals. There's just not a lot going on other than the ghosts. And that's fine because it's mostly just about the text. But um, I guess like if the game had an opportunity to go further with the visuals, um, it does keep it very simple. And then I'll say some of the stories are just a tad anticlimactic compared to others. Um, But you could flip that and say that some of the stories really do have like a great emotional payoff or a great surprise that I really liked. So overall, uh, Speed Dating for Ghosts is humorous. It's witty. um, It's even serious and sad when it needs to be. There's not much in terms of a destination, but it is a short and sweet collection of vignettes that I mostly enjoyed. Uh, so I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. All right. And heck it's, yeah. It's playable on PC, which is the version I played, Mac, and Nintendo Switch. Awesome. Well, immediately, um, I'm also noticing that there's synergy in between our games in this, like, three-color color palette yeah, going on. Yeah, like tritone. Yeah. Yes. Um, so that's pretty cool. Tone, yeah. Um, okay, so the trailer says there's 14 ghosts. You're making your way through three rooms. And what I didn't mention there is there are like, there are nine ghosts you date in the base game. They released like a free content update called Hell, where there are more people you can date. Okay. But if you buy this game, it just kind of all comes together. So it was easier to just explain the three rooms because that's what you start with. Right. Then you do those, then you unlock Hell, which gives you a handful more. Okay. Yeah. Um, So you mentioned that rejection locks people out. So let's say theoretically no one gets rejected. Are you still able to see all stories in one save file? Like, yes. can you go back to the same room and pick a different ghost? Yeah. So if I go to like the room of black and I please all three ghosts in the room of black, at the end of the two rounds of speed dating, I get to pick my first ghost I want to go out on an after speed dating date with. Oh, okay. And then I do their story. Then it kicks you back to the menu screen of the game, and then you can go back to the room of black, and you can now select one of the other two. So you can experience all of the ghosts picking one 
to go on a date with doesn't lock you out of the others at that point. So gotcha. you can still experience them all in one save file. Okay. Um, which I really like. Yeah, I like that they did it that yeah, way. I yeah. would, it would be a little bit upsetting to have to like wipe your save file just mm-hmm. to at least experience all of them. Um, I, I think maybe this is why I feel like there's just not enough closure at the very end of the whole game. I think I was expecting to maybe like go on as many dates as I possibly could in all three rooms. And then it's like, okay, who's your favorite? And yeah, then we're going to give you yet one. another story, like a follow-up story. Maybe there could be something like that that would make it feel like it wraps up. Right. Yeah. yeah. Someone someone you're going steady with. Exactly. So yeah. Or just to have a companion for the rest of your afterlife. Yeah. yeah so. um, okay. Well, that's all I wanted clarification on. Um, one of our first uh, dating sim secret games, I yeah. think. Yeah. It's hard to know if I would recommend this to you. It's, you know, it's not a lot of reading because it's a pretty short game. Yeah. Um, But also, like, you like a destination. And I think the destination comes in the form of just seeing these mini vignette stories. What's at the end of each ghost's story? Yeah. And if you like miniature storytelling like that, you're going to get, like, over a dozen different little stories. I'm. I mean, I have a bit of curiosity about each one. It's like, yeah. how did you die? What mm-hmm. did you do? You know. Yeah, and uh, a lot of them are emotionally impactful or just like humorous. Yeah. And so there's a good variety there. Um, so those are our secret games, Downwell and Speed Dating for Ghosts. Let's move on to our review of SteamWorld Dig. It is our featured game. SteamWorld Dig is a platforming action-adventure Metroidvania Lite, first released in 2013. It was developed and published by Image and Form. If you go to Steam, um, you can read the game synopsis, which reads, quote, SteamWorld Dig is a platform mining adventure with strong Metroidvanian influences. Take the role of Rusty, a lone mining steam bot, as he arrives at an old mining town in great need. Dig your way through the old earth, gaining riches while uncovering the ancient threat that lurks below. End quote. SteamWorld Dig is a side-scrolling game where you play as a steambot named Rusty. Rusty has received a deed to a mine in the town of Tumbleton from his Uncle Joe. And Tumbleton is this western town in the desert with uh, a hole in the middle and a ladder <laughs> that uh, leads down into the earth. And when Rusty arrives in town, he meets up with Dorothy, who's another robot. And Dorothy is a shop owner who guides Rusty in becoming a miner. And the two find Uncle Joe's body in the mines under Tumbleton. And Rusty takes his old pickaxe. And as Rusty, you dig hundreds of feet below to find treasure and what's really going on under the surface. You're using your pickaxe to destroy dirt and mine ore, whatever path you create downward. Uh, persists throughout the game. So you have to be very careful about where you dig. You can actually dig arguably too much because you might dig so much that you can't really get back up out of the ground. Um, And there are also enemies and hazards of all kinds. So you have to be really mindful about which path you're taking. Sometimes your paths are snaking around because you're avoiding obstacles and you're collecting ores and gems to sell back in town to Dorothy and buy upgrades from Three shopkeepers named Cranky, Biff, and Dandy. They're selling you all your uh, upgrades in this game. It's always Biff. It's always Biff. (laughs) I like Biff a lot. There's also Lola, who runs the bar. 
and you can buy items like ladders, lamps, and dynamite to make your adventure easier. You can also buy upgrades for your health, your lantern duration, your water tank storage, your damage dealt, and your pouch size, to name most of them. And if you die, you lose half the cash that's in your pocket, and all the unsold treasure in your pockets will be dropped where you died. And if you want that treasure to sell later, you have to re-navigate to where you died and pick it all up again. And if you get stuck, you can also self-destruct to uh, respawn in town. And as you explore, you find caves that offer upgrades that are Metroidvanian in nature. You get the ability to run. Uh, you get the ability to use a drill to destroy tougher patches of rock. You gain access to a steam punch. Uh, you can do high jumps eventually. And you can find portals and shortcuts that will teleport you back and forth between the town and the underground. And there are three primary dig zones in the game. Um, I think they kind of feel like chapters, basically, where you're getting to a new environment yeah, I can see that. with new enemies sometimes, new um, kind of obstacles in each one. And at the bottom of the last zone, there is a final boss. And this is the first game in the SteamWorld franchise. After SteamWorld Dig came SteamWorld Heist, which is a turn-based strategy action adventure. I think it was about a year later after SteamWorld Heist that they released SteamWorld Dig 2, which continues the story of SteamWorld Dig. And then we got some more games in different genres. We got SteamWorld Quest Hand of Gilgamesh, which is an RPG deck builder. We got SteamWorld Build which is a construction management sim. And as we sit down to record in early December, 2023, this game came out two days ago Oh, on Friday. Holy we're, smokes. We're sitting down on a Sunday. That game came out like 48 hours ago, my friend. What, SteamWorld Build? SteamWorld Build just came out. Oh my gosh. I was like getting ready for this episode and I saw like this video about it already. Yeah. So it's being talked about a lot like this weekend, I think just because reviews are coming out and stuff. So that's just kind of funny. And then just like, SteamWorld Dig itself just turned 10. So this is a really fun time to review this game. Um, and then I'll also mention there's an upcoming SteamWorld Headhunter. I don't know what genre that is. I don't <laughs> know if it's been announced, but there are more SteamWorld titles coming. This is a big franchise. It's wild. And they really experiment with the genre. I will say, I think SteamWorld Build is a different uh, developer than um, Image and Form. Okay. So... I don't know if Image Inform is done with it. Who knows? Disco Cola, the setup for this game is quite simple because, in my opinion, I think it feels foremost like a gameplay over story game. Like there is a story in this game. Yeah. But this is mostly about just like how well can you dig down? How much can you find and sell and improve your upgrades? Does that sound fair? Yes, yeah, I agree with that. And um, now I'm just curious Disco Cola, what are your thoughts on SteamWorld Dig? I think it did just enough to keep me wanting to come back for more. And I think this is mostly done through the upgrade system, but I don't know if I really cared a whole heck of a lot about the world I was exploring. Mm. And I don't know how long this game will be present in my mind. Um, all the same, there's plenty of things I like about SteamWorld Dig. I think the character designs are all cohesive and charming. I think they remind me of one of my other uh, visual favorites in Machinarium, but like 
the next stage of evolution yes, for automatons. That's such a good observation. Uh, I think I always subtly, like somewhere in the back of my mind, like associated those visual styles, yeah. but I never like consciously thought of it. Yeah. 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 Um, just, just the way like some of them have wheels and some of them are just like uh, pretty slender humanoids. Anyways, um, I think the character designs like mirrored perfectly the personality of each said character. And this helps me to remember as the player what that character is about. Biff looks like a Biff. <laughs> right. Dan- and, and dandy looks like a dandy. Exactly. Yes. And the designs represent that as well. The game has something that I might start calling the goose game effect where there are these like optional and largely time-consuming ways to play. And what I mean in this case is that theoretically, you probably could mine every single block in the game if you wanted to. (laughs) It wouldn't get you anything. It would take forever and would probably make the game as a whole way more difficult. But you could do it. And I really like that. I don't think I will end up making the time to do that in in SteamWorld Dig, but the idea that I could is really appealing, and I totally, totally want to, just to say that I did. (laughs) Was as a whole a pun intended? (laughs) No, (laughs) but I'm glad it it happened. Um, Going on, for the most part, I do like going into the mine and collecting as much as I can. And then going back to the surface to sell what I found, and then using that to buy new upgrades. This was a mostly enjoyable gameplay loop for the most part. Sure. Um, I think the upgrades that you find, as uh, well as the upgrades that you buy, are really fun. Um, I found myself at multiple points thinking, like, um, "Oh man, I wish I could like do this," or "I wish there was a way to mine faster." And most of the time an upgrade for that existed. I just needed to buy it or find it. And I think the drill upgrade in particular is notable enough to be in its own category on the likes list. I think this is a really satisfying thing to mine with as well as attack enemies with. So well done. I love the drill. I got to a point where I reached a certain like power level and sort of accidentally sprinted to the end of the game. And I actually think this is really awesome. If your mining equipment is strong enough to break on through, you can just you can just go for it. You just keep going down, 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 yeah. down, down. And yeah. for the most part, you probably could beat the game at that point, maybe. But you should definitely get at least a few more of those mobility upgrades first. But for you, sure. you, you could, theoretically. There is an achievement slash trophy in this game for beating it in under two and, two and, and a half hours, hours. Yeah, which I would never be able to do. I don't think I'm interested in that at all. But this game can be beaten in an expedited fashion. Yep. So that's fascinating to me. Yeah. I uh, did not know that trophy existed before I turned it on. So now I have to get it. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Sucks. Be sure you stream that. Uh, I have to. (laughs) Um, Speaking of dashing to the end, there's this like hard line in the sand where the game changes and you just like, you don't see it coming, but once you're there, you're almost trapped and normally i hate oh. these like points of no return and i did die pretty quickly after... are you talking about the beginning of a new zone yeah of the final zone in particular the final zone okay there is a teleporter at the beginning of it yes so like you say you're trapped though well okay so i dug down uh there's there's a lot of strong enemies there and so i started digging and then it became 
more dangerous to go back up than to continue. Yes. And it's easier to run out of steam, like water and stuff yeah. down there because there are those blocks that you destroy, but then they come back. Yeah. And so you lose your hole. And once you reach a ceiling that's way too high, it's you can't really like punch a hole back in that ceiling. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense, but it, it's hard to go back upwards yeah. in that area. Absolutely. Yes. So breaking through that final piece of dirt and then just like falling to that final zone was just like, I didn't see it coming and it was like yeah. a total surprise for me. It was a surprise for me too. Uh, I did not see that coming. And that was pretty cool. And then lastly, uh, and this is only a minor thing that I liked a little bit, but the the game gave weight to the word steam by making water like a, a stat in your system that actually serves a purpose. Like it's one thing to look steampunk, but it's another thing to be steam-powered steampunk. Uh-huh. So they actually made made good on the word. So I, I did appreciate that I needed water eventually to create steam inside of my body. Sure. There is a lot, though, in SteamWorld Dig that I'm just not too keen on. Uh, I don't care for a majority of the setting. Like I've mentioned uh, in the past with medieval fantasy, settings like that just sort of like automatically bore me. It's the same thing with Westerns. And I think that one's actually pretty common. I think a lot of people just get like totally turned off at Westerns just in general. Um, So returning to the surface doesn't excite me for any reason other than unloading my inventory. Mm. I mentioned in my praises that the gameplay loop can be fun, but it definitely doesn't start out that way. I'd say for about like the first fifth of my playthrough, I was having to stop and return to the surface way too frequently. And I was getting worried that the game was going to take forever because I didn't, I just didn't know what to expect. And I didn't know that inventory spaces might increase. I didn't know there would be teleportation. And it was a slog, and I think if I wasn't playing this for the podcast, I might have quit because uh, okay. it was a bit. It was a bit of a slog for a lot longer than I would have liked. Do you know about how many hours you spent in this game? Uh, I I beat it in like two and a half streams, so okay. probably seven hours. Yeah, I spent seven and a half hours. Yeah, but okay. like at the beginning of the game, I was like, "Is this like a fifteen-hour game? I don't have time right. to do that." You don't know how many zones there are, right? You don't know how deep each of the zones is. Yeah, yeah. and I, I, maybe there's just like crazy amounts of inventory the further I get down to. I just, mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I did mention that each character has charm and personality that's amplified by their design, and that's true, but it only goes so far. Most of the characters are just like the one or two personality traits, so I don't really care about any of our characters, and by extension, the town, or much anything else, including our own character. So when the ending hits and there's like a bit of a, a personal touch to the ending, there's just less impact because I wasn't invested in the characters, including ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's a bit of a letdown for me. Uh, games like this usually don't need a lot of character depth, but oh, a, li- a little bit more would have A little helped. bit more. And when that's coupled with a setting that doesn't really inspire you, that can kind of have a multiplying effect of yeah. just not really caring about being here yeah, as much. exactly. Yeah. Um, I also don't like that you can miss out on a ton of blocks with items than them if you're not careful about your mining. Like, yes, as you progress, you do unlock different ways to mine, including ranged mining. But when you start, you can only dig uh, the blocks that are in the four directions directly adjacent to you. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so if you have a block with mineable material two blocks away from your head above you, you just you can't get to it. Yeah, there's nothing you can do. You you can put down a ladder. That's all you can do at yeah. the beginning of the game. But then you're also potentially spending money that you might need later and exactly. you don't know what you need that money yeah. for yet. And there is a finite amount of money you can earn in this game. Right. Because there are only so many ores and so many gems. And that's leading me to my last complaint is that I have this really it's more of an unconfirmed fear but that is that you could probably paint yourself into a corner in this game. There are so many blocks that contain material in them. Uh, so let's say you mine them all and you sell them all, right? But you like fail to buy all the upgrades you need before maybe dying several times. Yeah. Cause like you said, each time you die, you have to, you lose 50% of your total money. Um, and I don't think you get that repair cost back. I think that's just no. gone. And you don't get to choose which gems or ores get sold in your inventory. They all get sold at once when yep. you talk to Dorothy Yep. and you don't get to choose to drop ores and gems from your inventory. So like once you pick something up and you start picking up more stuff, all that stuff gets sold together and so then you get maybe $250. What I was doing is I was trying to buy as many upgrades I could as I went along. Yeah. I rarely saved up for the expensive things. I like <laughs> bought the less expensive things so that I could empty my pockets and not have that risk. I wanted that safety net of like not um, potentially losing hundreds of dollars right. that I wouldn't be able to make back. Yeah. And then like if you want to buy ladders or buy dynamite or – you know, anything, teleporters, like... Those are consumables. Yeah, and you you can buy as many of those as you want in the game. You can just, like, spend all your money on that you and could. just intentionally run out of money on purpose. Um, anyways, these are unlikely scenarios because there is a lot of mineable ore in the game, mm -hmm. more than enough, I think, to buy everything that you need and still get back up to the surface. But... It's just if you don't play well enough, you could soft lock yourself out of the ending of the game. And that I don't like that. I don't mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Like you should be able to just like hobble your way to the finish line, even if you played poorly on the way yeah. there. I, I do think you have a point that it is possible. I also agree that it's probably unlikely for most people. But I also think that thought that I had as I was playing that, oh, wow, I could really mess up in this game and get stuck. I think that really did affect how I played. It made me play more carefully because I I wanted to make sure I didn't go out of my way to um, attack enemies that weren't in my way. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I wanted to make sure that I thought about the direction of my digs so that I could get myself out if I decided to dig another like 30 feet down. I would think about it first rather than just using my drill just to just to go, go straight, straight down. down. Yeah. yeah. No, it did make me think about that a lot too, but I just, it's more of a, my complaint is that fear exists. Yes. Rather than just like, I think this could happen to me because mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think it could happen to me unless I do the goose game challenge. Then it could probably happen to me. There is another, there's another parallel universe where this game is more leisurely and you can kind of just like, I don't want to say like have more fun, but that's kind of what it feels like. You can just sort of let loose, let your hair down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, or isn't destroyed when a falling rock falls on it or yes. something. Like, yeah. There's a lot of those little rules happening yeah. too. So for me, it makes sense. Uh, that SteamWorld Dig is a bit of a classic in the indie game world. It feels like a pioneer for some other indie games in a big way, but the slog of the early repetitive gameplay and the fear of 
maybe soft locking for buying ladders makes this a mostly forgettable experience for me. I recognize its strengths, and I think that if I would have played it when it came out, I'd probably be a lot more impressed. Um, I think the final boss is pretty unique and asks you to use a lot of the different skills that you've learned along the way. But beyond the boss fight and using the drill, I probably won't think back to SteamWorld too much. Um, I do have a pretty difficult trophy ahead of me, so <laughs> I will have to work on, on SteamWorld for a while. I'm so sorry. But uh, I'd, I'd rather be doing my Goose Game Challenge instead. So this is somewhere is around a 7.0 for me. Like I'd rather play this than games like Runbow or Wadham. Okay. And that's around the same score that yep. you gave those games. Okay, cool. Seven for Disco Cola. Um, I'll move on to my thoughts. I don't have a ton of thoughts on this game just because it is so straightforward. But I do think SteamWorld Dig is a pretty adequate action-adventure game that shows its age in a few ways. Mm-hmm. This game is now over 10 years old, and so I think that's that's kind of undeniable at this point. But uh, what I liked about this game, um, I really liked the feeling of collecting treasure and selling it that's the main attraction and that feels satisfying when you survive and you make it back to town and you're able to take like a bunch of rare ore and and like ore that you're able to stack in your inventory and just sell it for a ton of money and level up and unlock more purchases um and, so yeah. and like when you collect them it shows you how much each ore is worth so like maybe you find one that's worth more than yes. any you've collected so far. That is really satisfying. Yeah, it'll it'll tally up before you even make it back to town. It will tally up the total value. So if if you have a certain purchase in the back of your mind, you can look at that amount you're about to sell for and know that you either can afford it or can't. I also like that I'm just constantly getting more durable through my purchases. It feels like I am getting tougher and I'm able to survive more. The caves offer satisfying upgrades. Um I didn't know what I was going to get in those caves. I understood within that first zone, like, oh, a lot of these caves are giving me these Metroidvania-like upgrades. But when I get to the later zones, it's kind of like a mystery, and that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, this is just the first time you're playing. But I, I was surprised by some of the upgrades. And um, the game is addicting in a very passive way for me, in kind of like a primal way for me, <laughs> where it's it's easy to do one more dig as you search for more loot. But I'm not like super focused on the world, like you said. You know, right. I'm not I'm not absorbed into this world. It's just sort of something I turn my mind off for and and play, and I have a decent time. Um, the late game upgrades are rad. You eventually get the double jump. That feels nice. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a mineral detector that made me play the game differently. Yeah, I did like Th- that. It updates your mini map with little points about where all the ores are. And that made me then go out of my way off to the east and west as I'm digging down because I noticed, oh, there's like a whole cluster of treasure over here. I should totally go over there and get that and then go and sell it. And so um, I like that how... Even late in the game, I can find something and it changes how I approach getting better at the game. Um, And a lot of the stress about that survival was relieved through some of those powers like the, the double jump and other things. The ending made me very interested in playing SteamWorld Dig 2, actually. Mm-hmm. I agree with you that the world isn't super absorbing. I don't really care about the characters as much as other games, but... From what I've heard about SteamWorld Dig 2 and then just how it sets up the story, I'm 
interested. And I that was kind of a surprise for me. Um, I think like two big surprises are the end, um, you know, being interested in that. And then also what you pointed out is like when you drop into that third zone and it's just so different. So those are my likes with SteamWorld Dig. Um, what I didn't enjoy so much, just um, returning to town can be so slow. Uh, needing to return to town so many times before you reach that next teleporter, that next shortcut, the momentum can really slow down when that happens. You can really run out of steam. You can run out of steam. <laughs> like literally, you can run out of water. And then <laughs> I actually found a shortcut to like refill my water. Oh, yep. Use that all the time. Yeah. I know exactly you know what I'm which talking one about. you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. You go back down to the same like teleporter and there's a little pool of water and then you go back to town and it refills. Um, so I thought that was kind of fun. But um, it can take many minutes to return to town. If you want all the upgrades, which I wanted to try to afford, you're forced into this repetitive action of going back to town because of your limited pocket size. And it just feels like you're traversing between the underground and town, sometimes more often than you're making steady progress. Mm -hmm. And then there's many upgrades that make actions like digging go faster. You know, buy this upgrade and it will make your pickaxe do plus two ground damage. So you you do two less swings against this piece of tile to break it. Mm. It's it's speeding up what you're able to do. And for me, those kinds of upgrades aren't really exciting. I want to buy upgrades that give me more kinds of movement. I want more options for how to traverse um, rather than, you know, now my pickaxe is doing plus two digging damage. Right. Um, so it's just. It's not exciting, but I need it. It's not exciting, but I need it. It's, it's like buying socks. It's like buying socks. It's like. Solar Ash's shield upgrades. Oh, yeah. Where you do a remnant fight in Solar Ash and you lose a maximum HP, and then you just have to turn around and use all your currency to buy that HP back. Yeah. It's like, why am I doing that? I was and just like here, I I was just able to break blocks for four hits, but now I'm deeper and now I need to hit them six times. Yeah. So I'd better buy this upgrade that gives me plus two. Now I'm breaking them in four again. It's like that's just not <laughs> exciting for me. Um, the enemy encounters can feel janky. Uh, they can damage you very quickly and kill you very quickly mm -hmm. before you've even realized what's happening. Um, the hitboxes can be a little hard to figure out. It just feels um, like things aren't so precisely defined there when it comes to just encountering the enemies. And that's really it for all my likes and dislikes. Um, overall, progress in SteamWorld Dig can feel slow if you want to find all the ore and gems you possibly can. And moment to moment, for me, it's not always the most riveting game, but the satisfaction in getting to the next upgrade or teleporter or zone feels pretty good. I played this for long stretches. I just wanted to chase that lizard brain satisfaction of getting better. <laughs> and I did feel that quite a bit. I'm going to rate this a 6.5 6 out of 6.5, all right. So we're pretty much- Pretty close. You know, at the same spot in terms of like, I think what we enjoyed and just like we have similar complaints. Yeah. So I had this like great fear that you like super loved the gameplay loop of of going back to town all the time. I was like, ah, oh, he's going to love this part. And I'm just going <laughs> to take a big old dump over it. But. <laughs> There's always that fear. But um, yeah, I just, it's it's an interesting combination this time between- just a game that's like easy to get into the groove of and have that satisfaction, but also like not loving it moment to moment. Yeah. You know, you can play those kinds of games for hours at a time. And that's what happened to me. I really only played this 
in two or three sittings yeah. for that seven and a half hours. There's, there's a lot in the game that gives you the good brain juice. Like you get a lot of like little rewards here and there, but the amount of work that you have to put into it is like not a lot. It's not hard, mm-hmm. but it's boring. Yeah. It's not, it's not the most exciting thing. But at the same time, you're constantly making more money than you just were. And you're constantly running into like new obstacles like, oh, now there are TNT barrels. How do those work? (laughs) And it is different and it is um, something you can get into the groove of. You said this game feels like a pioneer in the indie game world. Are you able to expound on that? This isn't a question we talked about beforehand. No, it's not. Um, When I think about games that came out before Steamroll Dig. And this is like Steamroll Dig came out when like indie games were were doing fine. Yeah. Like we're not talking about like Limbo and no. Braid and nothing else. Yeah, this is like 5 years after that yeah. stuff. But there's still like a lot that hasn't been explored or mm-hmm. whatever. Sure. Um I can't point to like specific examples, but I know that there's things that I see in Steamroll Dig that I don't see in the era of Limbo and and that very early PS3 Xbox 360 region of indie games. Gotcha. There there is a one game that came before this game. It was like the mid aughts, I want to say, and it was a I think it was a flash game, and it was called Motherload. And this was the same sort of idea as SteamWorld Dig, where you are on the surface. I think it's an alien planet that you're on and you're mining down and there's like a big like secret at the very bottom of the game. And I don't think I ever made it all the way down there, but it is the same thing where you're digging through tile after tile, trying to find treasure that you use to fund upgrades. So that's the only thing I was um, familiar with that resembles this game that came out before this game came out. Right. But now you've got games, and I don't know if this has come out yet, but it looks like, is it called Dome Keeper? Where you're like, you set up a dome on an alien planet. Yeah, I've heard, yeah, I've heard of Dome And Keeper. you're like, you're mining down and you're upgrading that dome. And that yes. dome is acting as sort of like a tower defense yep. type of thing. So there's a lot of games that have come after it that explore a lot of the same ideas. And, and you know, maybe someone else did it before SteamWorld Dig, but... Um, SteamWorld Dig is definitely like maybe one of the biggest names in doing this this early. It's anyway. very, very recognizable. I'd say it's like far more popular than Motherload was as far as I could tell. Right. And this game is also kind of sort of mixing genres. You're mining, which is sort of almost a genre on its own, much like farming sims. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're also, you have those light Metroid elements there in the upgrades. And so this might be an early example of like, indie games experimenting with trying to mix genres. Yes, it's hard to categorize this game. I think we had this in our Metroidvania category in I our think we did. master list of featured games. I ultimately don't think it really f- fit that bill super well. No, but you could argue it's an action-adventure game. You it could is. argue it's a platforming game yeah. because there are times where you're just jumping a ton. You're not doing precision platforming necessarily, but you're moving a character on a 2D plane like up and down and left and right a lot too. Yeah. So it is interesting that it is like that that gumbo of genres going on here. Um now as you were getting new upgrades were you, were you finding that you were playing the game differently? I found that I was moving around and trying to look for more uh ores as I found the mineral detector like that was making me play 
more slowly and like exploring more? Were you playing differently as you got upgrades more and more in this game? Oh, sure. Like when I, I mentioned, you know, ranged mining when I was going through my notes, but uh, that allowed me to go back and get stuff that I had previously been out of reach. Yeah. Are you talking about the steam punch? Yeah. Thing? Yeah. yeah. And then, um, well, even just like the double jump changed a lot. And the mineral detector did change how I play, but I waited to make good use of that until after I beat the game. So I beat the game and I was oh. like, okay, now I'm going to go back and just like clear off all the little purple squares on my map because I want cool. to. And you did that? Did no, I didn't them? finish it, but but uh, you started. To. I started going back. Yeah. yeah, I got that mineral detector, and then I went back to the first zone, and it's it's crazy how trivialized that first zone is. After you're <laughs> like so upgraded, you're yeah, just you're just like durable. That the, using the drill, it's just like everything is dust. Essentially, yes. you're just you, like you can make your way down so fast because your everything does so much damage in your arsenal. And uh, I, I was cleaning up all those purple dots, and that was addicting. Yeah, that part thrills me. I'm excited about yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. And I uh, I think my favorite tool in the game is that steam punch, because I was aiming for ore that was, like, way above my head. And I was able to, maybe not always on the first steam punch, but I, I gave it a couple, and it would fall down, and I'd collect it. So that's how I was collecting a lot of the stuff in the in the third zone. Um, you mentioned the drill being something you loved. Yeah. Are there any other tools or movement mechanics you liked in this game? No, man. Once a game gives me a double jump, everything else is <laughs> trivial. Like, nothing yeah. else matters. Does the double jump come too late in this game? Yes. I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> 12 million percent. Yeah. But I was happy to get it all the same. Yeah. Um, I do love how you can wall jump as much yeah. as you can. Mega like, Man X wall jump. Mega Man X wall jump. If there's a, a gap of two or more empty spots, you can't really do it. You have to like jump to the other wall on the other side if there is one. But being able to do that, I kept that in mind whenever I was drilling down because I thought, okay, I, I can get out of this really long shaft because I can just wall jump up. And that was so nice for yeah. getting back to town. Yeah. I wish more games had wall jumps, frankly. But uh, yeah. that was a that was a nice surprise. I think when I was like, I got down into the mine and I was testing out the controls. I'm like, okay, what can I do? What can I do? And then I found out I could wall jump. I'm like, I can what? <laughs> yes. Yes. That's, that's very generous. That's very considerate of them to do in this game. And then um, I thought this was interesting. When you start each playthrough, the mines are randomized. It's like where all the treasure is, is randomized. Okay. What you saw, like the exact configuration of all the treasure and stuff you saw in your game, completely different from mine, right? Okay. And I, I doubt any two are ever the same. Did you feel that there was randomization going on? Um, and or does this make you curious to play a new save? Uh, I did not know that. I don't know that I even suspected that could have been possible, frankly. Um, but it, it does make me curious to try a new save, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because um, like I got to a certain point where there's acid pools and the way those acid pools were laid out in my particular mine was very unsatisfying and I dislike it greatly. So if I could find like a, I don't know if those environmental things get re-rolled, but if so, I could. So you were thinking, if assuming they do, that would be nice. But you were thinking, man, the way they did this layout is so cruel. Yeah. Like with this, with this acid, yeah. like why'd they do it that way? But it's not necessarily their choice. Right. Maybe it's just bad luck yeah. on the randomization. And now 
not all of those elements are destructible, and so maybe those elements don't get randomized. Maybe, but, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I'm thinking more of that. As far as like where the treasure is located and which treasure is where, mm-hmm. I find that mostly arbitrary. Okay. Because um, yeah. like I said, I would often put myself in a situation where many of them were out of reach, and then I would just go back and clean it up later once yeah. I get the You're going to collect punch. it no matter what. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, just wanted to make a quick note on SteamWorld Dig 2. This is a game that, again, we had SteamWorld Heist, and then we had SteamWorld Dig 2. And uh, SteamWorld Dig 2 continues the story. It's taking place four or five decades after the first game. Oh, good God. Okay. According to the wiki. I thought it would be like immediately Immediately, after. right. But I guess it's a long time after. I hope I'm right about that. But um, slight spoilers for SteamWorld Dig. We play as Rusty in SteamWorld Dig, and Dorothy at the end of SteamWorld Dig kind of announces that she's going to do something. Mm-hmm. SteamWorld Dig 2 is her doing that something. And I find that really fun. Yeah. I think that's awesome. I think that sounds great. And if SteamWorld Dig 2 is better, then I can just think of SteamWorld Dig as a prequel instead a prequel. of a first yeah. game. <laughs> yeah. Well, many reviews I've read state that SteamWorld Dig 2 improves nearly everything from the first game. So take like every aspect, mechanic, and feature of SteamWorld Dig I guess two just improves on all of it. So that excites me too. Cool. And like, this is a game we both like mildly enjoyed, mm-hmm. at, at, you know, maybe at, at best. So I could see us both liking SteamWorld Dig 2. Yeah. And I think as far as like, I, I said all the characters are pretty one dimensional, but the least one dimensional was probably Dorothy. Yes. So that's exciting too. She's the one greeting you at the beginning of the game. So that makes sense for her to kind of carry on and be the person that you care about and play as in the sequel. Um, and then I was just curious, like, on the spot right here. Oh, God. Are you okay with actually two editions, possibly SteamWorld Heist and SteamWorld Dig 2 being on our featured games list? Uh, SteamWorld Dig 2? Yeah, sure. SteamWorld I'd have Heist, to, I'd we have could to look, look into, into but SteamWorld Dig 2 is definitely like that direct sequel to this first one. SteamWorld Heist, I only suggest that one because it came out in the middle. Again, it's a different genre, right? But we'll look into it. We'll put SteamWorld Dig Two yes. on our list, though. Yeah, Does and that I sound don't. Fair? Yeah, okay. I don't think we're cool. obligated to play all the sequels to all of our right. featured games, but uh, I, I am, I am interested. Okay, cool. So we might play SteamWorld Dig Two sometime soon, or sometime a lot later on Underplayed. We'll see. Um, anything else on SteamWorld Dig? I don't think so. I think we covered all of our. Uh... Nope, there's no pun there. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will acknowledge that you thought about (laughs) saying a pun there. Uh, That is our review of SteamWorld Dig. You can play it on, get ready for this list, PC, Mac, Linux, Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Wii U, Nintendo 3DS, and PlayStation Vita. Disco-Cola rated it a 7. I rated it a 6.5. That's the end of this episode of Underplayed. You can find more of our episodes at kzum.org slash underplayed and on common podcast platforms like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Our music was composed by Jack Rodenberg. Our art comes from Oni Mochi. Underplayed is on Twitter, Instagram, and threads at underplayedpod. You can find me in those places at bopo. That's B-O underscore P-O. And I'm also on the GG app where you can see my game lists, such as uh, my top 100 indie games lists. And I am at Disco Cola in all of those places to various degrees. 
and also streaming on twitch.tv slash discocola where I played SteamWorld Dig and we'll play more of our featured and some secret games. And uh, you can find Underplayed on Twitch as well with uh, twitch.tv slash underplayed podcast where we play some co-op games and maybe we'll do something else with that channel, but uh, you can find us there as well. Next time, we will have two more secret games to review, and our featured game will be Totally Accurate Battle Simulator, a strategy game developed by Landfall Games. Until then, everyone, keep on playing.